we tend to think of physical realities like our health or our economy as somehow our final destiny is bound up with that. That our final destiny is bound up with our health or our final destiny is bound up with a strong economy or our final destiny is bound up with this particular relationship or this. And what Jesus says is that man does not live on healthcare alone. Man does not live on economic flourishing alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pastor Theologians podcast. Uh, today, this week, we are doing, again, uh, something new where we are sharing a sermon from one of our CPT fellows, and we are joined today by a member of our St. Augustine Fellowship, and I'm here with Todd, our host, and I'm going to let him go ahead and introduce our guest for this week. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. We're delighted to have you join us today. Yeah, it's good to be it's good to be back. And how are you doing before we dive into things? How are, how are you doing uh, personally? How are you doing as a family? Are you staying safe and healthy and well? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, I mean it's a strange season for all of us. I mean, yes. um, but uh I think for for my own family in particular, one of the one of the s- special things um that's happened is just a lot of great family time. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> more time in the scriptures and in prayer with my kids and yeah, more, more things around the house with my kids, uh, where when they're back in school and with all their friends, um, they tend not to have as much attention. So, um, yes. so yeah, it's been, it's been a really special time that way, um, which I don't That's take good. for granted. Yeah. And I think just one of the things I've realized as a pastor is that even though we're all in a sense, experiencing the same sort of virus reality as far as like we're all impacted. None of us is accepted. Um, all of us are experiencing it very differently. Yes. And so, you know, I have some people in my congregation at home and they're alone. They don't have family. And so it's a very different yeah. experience for them or some of them have been furloughed or laid off and some are at home and their kids are really young and they're trying to work and hold it together and and so uh, that that's one of the strange things that is, even though there's this kind of u- unity of experience as far as like what's happening for everybody, mm-hmm. people are ex- personally experiencing the impact yes. of it very, very yeah. differently. Based on their professional and temperament circumstances. Yeah, all kinds all of stuff. All sorts of things like yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Chris, remind us, our podcast listeners uh, have heard you before, but remind us of uh, uh, sure. where you're serving. Sure. So I'm pastor at City Reformed Church in Milwaukee um, and uh, part of the Christian Reformed Church. Um, and, uh, you know, did as, you study? Um, so I did a PhD at Marquette in theology, which brought me to Milwaukee. And, and after I completed that PhD, uh, um, planted City Reformed Church, which is about eight or nine years old now. And wow. um, went to Princeton Seminary as well prior to that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, we're excited to share uh, your sermon with our podcast listeners. Chris, I think you know I've had an interest in the will. You're you're preaching from Matthew chapter 3 and into the first part of chapter 4 in a sermon entitled How to Survive in the Wilderness. And uh, I've had an interest in the wilderness as a theme and motif in the New Testament and its relevance for 
Christian discipleship and orienting ourselves in the Christian uh, journey. And uh, you're doing something similar with, with this sermon. But before we get into the sermon itself, it's situated in a sermon series with a a <laughs> not a subtle uh, title for the sermon series. You've given it the title Surviving the Apocalypse, Chris. Talk to us about that. Well, um, <clears throat> part of it is a little bit of a tongue in cheek, not to to minimize the uh, yes the, the seriousness of the situation, but but I do think we're very much in a survival yeah uh, mode right now. And in wilderness, this was the first sermon really mm-hmm. um, to frame that series. And um, you know, I as a preacher, I you know I, we I preach fairly expositionally through books, and you know I'll do thematic sermons and such, but I. I, I really do try to preach according to the Christian calendar. Um, yeah. You know, so Lent, I'm really focusing on Lenten themes. And, and, and of course, wilderness is a classic Lenten theme. And, um, and uh, but I, I preach this, you know, the sermon really like the second Sunday after Easter. Yeah. And it was very hard for me. I was like, oh, what yeah. can I do for Eastertide? I mean, but the reality is this, is that I often feel like when, I, when I'm preaching Lent, you know, and I, I do something on wilderness or, you know, and I, and it's almost like, you know, as a pastor, you're, you're trying to lead people through as a, you know, in a travel and a pilgrimage, mm-hmm, right? And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's one thing to try to, to, to lead people through like, you know, that are, you know, I want you to imagine that you're in Jerusalem and that you're following the road of the cross. And all the while, you know, I think life is going well and, you yes. know, we're fluent and everything is good. And, and, you know, but now here we are in this situation where we really are in the wilderness. Life is not yeah. going well. Um, people are losing their jobs. Some people in our congregation have lost loved ones to COVID. Um, mm. Like it's serious. Like this really is a wilderness. <laughs> so yes. It's a very different. It's a it's a very different experience right. preaching, preaching in an actual wilderness. Yeah, it's not this comfortable American like. Yeah. Oh yeah, I need to imagine if my life were difficult, how yeah. I would think yeah. about my relationship with the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. Like praying for our so, daily bread when our refrigerators are full and our pantries are, are brimming over. Yeah. 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 Well, you talk about how the wilderness is, I'll use this language, Chris, revelatory, and, and it reveals our dependency. It reveals our attachment to idols. Talk to us about that. I don't want you to, I don't want to steal your thunder. We're going to, we're going to oh, no. listen to your sermon in just a moment, but uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about the kind of how, how the wilderness reveals who we are and, and where our heart is. Yeah. You know, the wilderness is, is a place of temptation. Mm. Um, it's a place of testing. It's a testing. place where, where you learn what you're made of. I think this is the case with all all real suffering, right? I mean, it's yes. You're you're put in the pressure. You're you're put under pressure in a way where your character comes to the fore. So you realize how maybe impatient you were, or you realize how how dependent you were on certain things that you just took for granted, but now they're threatened, or they're now there's scarcity around them. And I, I I'm always struck that real temptation, the really deep, abiding, long term temptations are always around basic necessities. Mm. Like, like, um, and if, I think from, for many people I've experienced in the congregation, that it would be relational necessities. Like, why am I still single? Yeah. Like, why can't, you know, and, and it's just, it's sometimes year long and it's, 
and it's like basic necessities that that we go without where we we question god we question our identities and and it's but it's you know as you know you know the story from from the israelites in the desert you know it's like you you take the israelites out of egypt and you put yeah. them but but they still have egypt in them right and, yes, and yes. they've got a lot of egypt in them and i think that the wilderness and i think this is true of our own time right like all of a sudden we're we're without a lot of basic necessities in terms of our ability to meet and commune. And all of a sudden we're realizing there's, there's all these idols that have been mm. under the surface that are being brought forward. And, and, uh, it's, it's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you for, uh, your, your faithful ministry, uh, up in Milwaukee to your congregation. Thank you for your friendship with us and partnership with us at the CPT. And without further ado, uh, we want uh, to encourage all of our listeners, grab a friend or your family and uh, a cup of coffee, sit down, listen to this podcast sermon from our good friend, uh, Reverend Dr. Chris Gansky, and be encouraged. Stay safe, stay well. Chris, thank you. Thanks, brothers. Since the beginning of this pandemic, this story of Jesus um, his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness has really been my, my personal framing story. Um, it's how I've tried to understand and make sense of what's going on and how to respond. We've been led into the wilderness. And our wilderness is very different from the one that Jesus was in or the Israelites, but it is caused by this invisible virus that has struck a portion of our population with sickness and death and consequently imposed upon us, the rest of us, a season of social and economic deprivation. And like Jesus and Israel in the wilderness, we are forced into a season of fasting, of doing without. And we have not chosen this fast for ourselves. It has been imposed upon us by a biological reality that is beyond our control. And we can't simply halt it or wish it away and so the critical question is, how do we survive? How do we survive in the wilderness? How do we trust God in this particular wilderness? In the weeks to come, I want to reflect with you on get, offer something of a spiritual survival guide for what it means for us to endure and to trust the Lord in this uncharted territory of wilderness. But this morning, I really just want to focus in on this story of Jesus in the wilderness to help us understand our own experience. And so what does it mean for us to, to trust the Lord in the wilderness? What does it mean for us to survive in the wilderness? There's three things that we need to know that I think this story teaches us, three things. The first is that you have to know why you are there. You have to know why you're there. Second, you have to know who you are. And third, you have to know how to find sustenance. So know why you're there, know who you are, and know how to find sustenance. The first thing about surviving the wilderness is knowing why you're there. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It was the Spirit of God that also led the Israelites into the wilderness and we now are being led into the wilderness because God wants us here. We did not get here by accident or by a wrong turn. 
the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The Gospel of Mark is rather forceful in its description of how the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. It says that it drove him into the wilderness. It hurled him into the wilderness. We tend to think about the Holy Spirit as as a dove, like a cooing dove. But here, the Spirit is more like forceful. He's driving Jesus in the same way a cowboy might drive a herd of cattle across an open prairie. God has led us into this season. And this is at once a comforting thought, but also a troubling thought. It's, Trump, it's comforting in the sense that we know that God's in control. If he's led us here, he's with us here. It's not an accident, right? And if God has led us into this place, he will be with us in this place. And even though we don't understand why we're in the wilderness fully or what his purposes are or how to make sense of what's going on, we know that there is meaning and that there is purpose and there will be on the other side. But it's also troubling, right? It's a very troubling thought to think that God has led us here, that he has allowed us to go into this season of affliction and suffering and testing Why has he done this? The overarching theme of wilderness in the Bible, which is one you encounter everywhere, is that the wilderness is a place that God sends his people for seasons of testing. That the the Lord leads us into the wilderness and he permits or he allows us to be tempted by Satan, by the evil one. Look again at our verses here. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry, and the devil, seeing an opportunity, seeing a vulnerability, he strikes right there. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, it's important for us to realize that the strongest temptations in life always emerge around the most basic and fundamental needs of our life. The the strongest temptations in life are always around the most basic and fundamental needs of our life. We are most tempted to abandon God's ways and his commands when we sense essential needs threatened, food, shelter, economic security, safety, health, relationships, sexual identity, what does it mean to trust God with our most basic needs? What is most basic to who we are? You'll remember that the first temptation in the Bible, it happens in a garden, not in a wilderness, but it has to do with food. And the serpent comes to the woman and he puts in her mind, he speaks to her and said that this idea that somehow God is withholding something from her that is really basic and necessary for her. Something she deserves that God is holding back. And the question is, will she trust God's word or will she trust the words of the serpent? See, seasons of testing in our life is when we really learn to trust God with the basic 
needs of our life. Wilderness is a place where we learn how to trust God in a kind of everyday way, right? As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, you know, give us today our daily bread, everyday bread, trusting God in an everyday way. See, when we have no, in a way, like outside of the wilderness, we really don't have a sense of how deep our faith in God is when we're forced to trust him for really fundamental things. Because most of our lives we live, we're in control, right? We're in control. We can provide food. We can pay our bills. We can take care of ourselves. But it is precisely in those situations when you're no longer in control, when you don't have power, when you can't predict the future, when something is taken away from you, when deprivation is forced upon you, when uncertainty is all you see, these are the seasons, these are the times that reveal the true depth of our faith. The wilderness reveals us in a sense. It reveals what we're made of. It shows us really where we truly put our trust, where our true hopes lie. And the reality is, as in the case of the people of Israel, that, the war, that their season in the wilderness revealed their idols. Their idols were exposed. And it's the same with us. The wilderness exposes our idols. And you might think of an idol as our, your functional God. Look at, I mean, the temptation of Jesus, the, the kind of culmination of, of the temptation scene. The devil brings him up to a high mountain and he says, listen, just fall down and worship me. Fall down and worship me and I will give you the whole world. I will save you from this situation. I will give you the world without suffering. That's what idols do, friends. That's the promise of idols is to give us the world without suffering. Just pay homage to me and I'll give you what you need. I'll get you out of this, this situation. That, that's a, an idol is a functional God. What Martin Luther says as he comments on the first commandment, he defines what a God is and what an idol is. He says, he says, a God is that to which we look for all good. A God is that which we look to for all good in which we find refuge in every time of need. That to which your heart clings and entrusts itself is really your God. That to which your heart clings and entrusts itself in times of need is really your God. It's your functional God. That's what an idol is. An idol then is a God that is you know, a functional God other than the true God. And even if you don't believe in God, even if you question God's existence, you still have a functional God. You still have things in your life that you look to for good, things that you hope in, in times of crisis. And I think this, this season of wilderness is really exposing the gods of our society, right? Gods of medicine and healthcare. Gods of governmental action, gods of a healthy economy. All these things that we've put our trust. But the reality of the wilderness is this, is that wilderness pushes us to our extreme and it actually shows us that these gods, these functional gods are actually not sufficient to save. They're not, they're not sufficient to save. Healthcare, <laughs> medicine, a vaccine ultimately is not gonna save us. A strong economy ultimately is not gonna save us. Friends, what is it that thing that brings you true comfort? What is that thing in which your true hope lay? 
See, the wilderness is a place that the Spirit leads us, where we learn to make the true God our functional God, the one to which we cling in all of our time of need. So when a teacher administers a test, one of the things that he or she, uh, one of the reasons she does this is because she wants to know what the student knows. But God, as our teacher, already knows what we know. (laughs) He knows us better than we know ourselves. And so when God leads us into times of testing, it's not meant to reveal something about us to him because he already knows us, it's meant to reveal something about us to ourselves. And this is an essential work of God in our lives. It's to reveal and expose us to ourselves because we actually don't know ourselves as we are. And in the wilderness, our true character is revealed. Who we are, what we're made of, all of our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities are exposed. And it raises a fundamental question, who am I? Who am I? But friends, I I wanna just reassure you, and this is what we've heard in the the scriptures and the readings already, is that when God leads us into the wilderness, he promises that he will always show up. He will always provide. He will not let you starve. He will not abandon you. It's really important to know that. So to survive in the wilderness, we need to know why we're there, but then we also need to know who we are. Seasons of temptation at their core are about a challenge to our identities. True temptation is an identity crisis. You know, we think about temptations, right? And we we have this idea that, oh, I, I see that that extra cupcake and I'm tempted to, to eat it and I turn away or I see that, that tempted to take a drink or look at this and I don't. But true temptation, friends, is not just an episode where I'm kind of enticed in my flesh. True temptation is a duration. It's, it's often seasons of our life when we're, we're profound questions about our own identities and who we are and who we are in relationship to God are, are asked again and again and again in the light of realities and needs that aren't being met or frustrations. And we're tempted to say, who is God and who am I in relationship to God? Temptation always creates identity crisis. And that's precisely what the evil one does here in this story. Um, he, he always wants to create doubt around your relationship with God. He wants wants you to feel insecure as a child of God. He wants you to doubt God's goodness and his love. Look at the way he addresses Jesus in in two of the, the first two temptations. He says, if you are really the son of God, turn these stones to bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off this temple. Twice, right? He goes straight to his identity as the son of God. He's trying to create confusion He's trying to create doubt in Jesus' heart about his relationship with the Father. And that's what he does for us. He goes straight to our identities and questions them. And there's two specific ways I think that this happens, and I want to enumerate them for you. There's a more general way that Satan does this and attacks our identity. 
And there's a more specific way. The general way is that he just raises doubts about the reality of God altogether, right? You're in the wilderness. I mean, is God even real? (laughs) I mean, is God real? If this, you know, this wilderness proves that there is no God. Or, you know, God's not gonna help you in this wilderness time. Or you don't need God to tell you who you are. You just need to look inside to find out who you are. But friends, to be a human being created in the image of God is to be created by God and for God. You're a creature. You're created for relationship with God. I mean, this is what it means to have a soul. A soul is not like a, you know, that spiritual organ in the body, like, you know, where spiritual stuff goes on. A soul refers to the whole of ourselves as a person, created in the image of God, created for God, a God-centered understanding of what it means to be a human being. Um, There's a Latin phrase, quorum Deo, which means in the presence of God, in, before God, that to be a human being, to have a soul is to be one who is always quorum Deo, always before God, always in the presence of God. And the evil one always wants us to doubt that. He wants us to doubt the reality of quorum Deo, that you actually live in God's presence. And I think it's very easy for us to live as if God does not exist, which is possible. I think as Christians, sometimes we do this. Many Christians live as if God does not exist. When my children were young, two or three years old, I would remember they would, sometimes when they were in a group of people, they didn't know and they were embarrassed, but they couldn't get away. What they'd do is they would just hold their hands up before their eyes so they couldn't see anybody. And they thought that by holding their hands in front of their eyes, they couldn't see anybody and nobody could see them. And that's kind of how we are with God a little bit. We kind of live our lives like little children with our hands in front of our eyes and thinking that if I can't see God, then God can't see me. But the, the reality, friends, is this, is that you are quorum Deo. You are in the presence of God. You are created for God. And someday you're gonna have to lower your hands and you will see him. So that's the first way that the evil one tries to tempt or challenge our identities is he, he tries to make us to forget the reality of God. But the, the second one is more specific. The devil tries to create identity crisis around being God's beloved sons and daughters. So we're in the wilderness. It's very hard to feel like you're a beloved child, right? You're like, wait, what did I do wrong, Lord? Why are we here? What happened? Did, I, did we upset you? What have I done to deserve this? Those are natural questions that come to us when we suffer and when we find ourselves in the wilderness And it's during these times that the evil one comes to us and whispers all kinds of lies. He whispers in the form of thoughts that just kind of jump in your head, feelings that sort of just begin to overtake your heart. They're things like this. If if God really loved you, you wouldn't be in this situation. He doesn't really love you. If God was really loving, you wouldn't be here. Or, Or this, you're not worthy of God's love. You don't deserve God's love. These are the thoughts that Satan puts in our heads in the wilderness. 
These are the things he whispers. And how do you, so the question is, how do you, how do you respond? How do you respond? You have to know, friend, you have to know who you are. And who you are is a beloved child of the Father. You're a beloved child of the Father. This is, this is the identity we receive in baptism. If you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, baptism, the sacrament of baptism, signs and seals that reality that you are God's beloved child. And that means that what the Father says to Jesus, he says to you, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And he sends the Holy Spirit down to comfort us, to lead us. And I think the sequence of events in the story of Jesus' baptism and temptation are so important to pay attention to. Because Jesus is baptized first, and he hears the affirmation, the shout of God's love from heaven for him, and he received the Holy Spirit, and then he goes into the wilderness. The people of Israel are liberated from slavery and they pass through the Red Sea and then they go into the Sinai wilderness. Jesus does not show himself worthy first by being obedient and doing, earning the Father's favor and then is baptized. That tends how we think, right? I've gone through the wilderness, I've been faithful, now I deserve to be baptized. Now I deserve to have God say, I love you and I'm gonna be with you. See, that's how we think, but that is not the gospel, See, baptism says, no, you're God's beloved son. You are part of his family. And you go into the wilderness with that knowledge of your identity as the anchor of your soul. Amen. And it is given to you in baptism. But friends, you, this, is, this is what's challenging in the wilderness, right? This identity has to be nourished. It has to be nurtured. I think our listeners are going to appreciate this message because you you uh, exposit the passage uh, thoughtfully and theologically uh, with relevance, but you move towards the end of this message to survival strategies. And again, yeah. I don't want to steal your thunder, <laughs> no. but uh, I, th- I think that's going to be something that's going to be really helpful for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think you have to, you have to find those those survival strategies. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> what's and, been and, your survival strategy, Chris? Personally, as a, as the not just as the preacher pontificating, if you will, but but uh, how have you been? Uh, what what survival strategy has been most essential for you in navigating this apocalypse, this this wilderness yeah. season? Um, learning to gather daily bread, probably, mm. and and just I know I get up pretty early and. I mean, and I just like every day and I share this, I'm pretty honest in the sermon. I'm like, listen, yeah. the wilderness is a place where it's hard to connect with God. Yes. I mean, that's I, what I, I appreciated very much when you, when you said that, because I think that that's been my experience. I think that's a lot of people's experience where it, it is, it is harder to, to crack the scriptures open. It is harder yeah. to focus in prayer. It is harder yeah. to find solitude and quiet moments for whatever mm. reason. So I, all that is to say, I, I yeah. just appreciated that. Mm. Mm. So That's I, good. I think for me recognizing and, and part of it is I think wilderness of, you know, I really press this upon people. I'm like, this is a wilderness. You need to accept this. Yeah. I mean, the Israelites, that was part of their disobedience is like, well, they just refused That's to right. accept that they were in the wilderness. They're like, no, this is not right. Like we don't <laughs> want right. to be here. And, <laughs> right. and, and that, and the, you know, this is where 
you know, coming from a more reform perspective, you know, like I, a certain surrender <laughs> to, I was like, so every day I just realized like, you know what, I got to get up and I got to forage and, um, and, and I, I just got to, I, I got to work at gathering bread in the morning because yeah, I need it for the day. And, and, it, and it's, it's hard. Like, and I don't, I don't want to pray or I don't want to mm. just take it, you know, like I have to read the scriptures and I have to, I have to just like gather those resources in the morning, yeah. especially for me to just get through the day. And I think when I'm not in the wilderness, it's like usually not, that's not the issue. Right. So. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And, and at the end of the message, Chris, you, of course, we're, we're focusing on Jesus and, and in a sense, the example of Jesus and how he navigated and survived the wilderness. But at the end of the message, you make an important move that Jesus is, yes, the example, but more than an example, the one to whom we, are, we, we need to be united ultimately. Yeah. Uh, share briefly uh, how you make that move at the end. And uh, Yeah. I mean, I think this is a, this is a baptismal sermon. Mm. And the, the point of baptism really is it's, it's to be in Jesus Christ. And you know, there's a lot, again, it's a both and, right? You learn from Jesus and what he did and survived, but it, but you realize too that to be in Jesus, to be baptized in Jesus means that he's the one who actually does carry you through the wilderness. Um, you know, he's the one in whom our destiny is sealed. Um, and he will, he will bring us through the wilderness. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think surviving the wilderness at the end of the day is just holding on tight to him <laughs> yeah. and, and just holding on for dear life and, and, and uh, letting him, you know, um, take you through that wilderness season. Yeah. But, but, the, but that doesn't mean it's easy, you know? So when we go into the wilderness, we not, we need to know why we're there. We need to know who we are and we need to know how to find sustenance. An identity is something that needs to be fed. An identity is something that needs to be fed. It has to be nurtured. And it's very hard in the wilderness, so far away from the banks of the Jordan River, to have that sense of God's care and concern. Just uh, look again at Jesus' story. Just try to put yourself in his place. He goes under the water. He comes up. And the spirit in the form of a dove, visible, lands on him, comes upon him. And the father shouts from heaven for everybody to hear, this is my beloved son. Right? You can't imagine a more of a kind of mountaintop experience than this. But then immediately Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's fasting and he's hungry and he's thirsty, and he's under assault emotionally. And now that baptism along the Jordan River feels so far away. And where before it was so easy to connect with the Father and the Spirit and to sense their, their tangible presence, their physical presence, now it's extremely hard. It's extremely hard to connect with the Father. I think the biggest challenge about the wilderness um, is that it's a place that it's hard to find God in the wilderness. It is hard to connect with God in the wilderness. What makes the wilderness the wilderness, spiritually speaking, is it's just a place where it's hard to connect with the Lord. 
It's a place of scarcity. Spiritual food and drink is hard to come by. Mountaintop experiences are hard to come by. You have to expend more effort. It's hard to see God. It's hard to hear God. It's hard to feel his presence. I don't know about you, but I'm finding it a very difficult time to connect with the Lord. It's hard to concentrate. It's hard to pray. You know, I don't feel really close to the Lord right now. I know a virtual worship service is better than no worship service. But I know that it is a pale imitation of the real things, friends. Wilderness is a place where it is hard to connect with God. It's a place where our relationship with God feels more vulnerable and strained. You think about those of you who work away and travel, especially for seasons where I've been away from my wife and kids and... and um, you know, we can talk on the phone and we can video chat, but it's, it's not the same thing as being with them in flesh. It takes a lot more effort emotionally. And if you have a strained relationship and you're away, that's even worse. But in the wilderness, staying connected with God is more important than ever. It's more important than ever. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we find spiritual sustenance for that relationship? How do we feed our identity as children of God? There's three things I wanna close with, three recommendations or truths that come out of this story. The first one is this, embrace the wilderness. We are in a wilderness, embrace it. The Israelites, one of the things One of the reasons they wandered so long, one of the reasons that they failed and rebelled against the Lord is that they refused to accept the wilderness. They just couldn't. Friends, knowing how to connect with God in life has a lot to do with knowing where you're at. And knowing you're in the wilderness is an important information, important knowledge to know about how we connect with God. This is a fast time. This is a time of deprivation. This is the place where the Spirit has led us. And I know that's a hard thought, but God has led us here. And it is a mystery why we are here. We have, something has been imposed upon us, not by our choice. And that means that the portions are meager. I know many people right now are feeling really frustrated and agitated Every day, the kind of lockdown continues, and we all want it to end. We want to be able to get back together. We want to be able to have dinner with one another. We want to be able to gather and worship. We want to go back to work. The reality is, though, is that people are still getting sick and they're dying. This plague has not been lifted from us. God has not taken it away from us. And to a certain extent, we need to continue to embrace the reality of wilderness. And let me be clear here. I'm not suggesting that we just, you know, don't have vigorous conversations about what it means to safely open up and restart the economy and interact with one another. I'm not trying to make a point politically or socially. But the reality is this, is to embrace this idea of fast is to humble ourselves. It's not to become passive, but it is to humble ourselves in the light 
of a reality that is beyond our control. It is to refuse to embrace a quick fix solution, to try to think that somehow we've traveled into the middle of this wilderness and maybe a helicopter can airlift us out. Embracing the fast means learning to get by with less without grumbling, without complaining, without becoming angry, without becoming agitated, without having rebellious hearts towards God, towards the government, towards those crazy protesters, towards whatever anybody is doing that we get angry about and how they're responding. Friends, it's learning to go without certain things, without a rebellious heart. It's humbling ourselves before God and before one another. This is part of what it means to embrace this season of fast. And let me just, you know, I just want to make a a parenthetical comment that relates to this. It's a little off, but I think it's really important for us to be generous to one another right now. We are all experiencing the same thing, but, you know, the same reality, if you will, but we're all experiencing it very differently. Some of us are at home with kids and we're completely overwhelmed. Some of us are alone and we're very lonely. Some of us are at home with our kids and, and we're, we're actually have less time or more time and we're actually really enjoying a little respite. See, people are in very different places and our temperaments respond to this very differently as well. Some of us very strongly believe we need to listen and stay isolated and not go out to spread us. And some of us feel like we need to get this economy going. And we're all like looking at one another and we're judging one another. And, we're, and, and I think it's so important, friends. I'm not saying we don't have really important, vigorous conversations about what the right thing to do is. Be generous. Be humble. Humble yourself. Nobody knows what this thing is going to do. There's so much we don't know. And yet we can be so arrogant in how we treat one another, how we talk about one another. To embrace the wilderness is to, is to, is to humble yourself before God and towards one another. But the second In the wilderness, the way we find sustenance is we have to learn how to survive on the word of God. You have to learn how to survive on the word of God. The reality of baptism still holds true in the wilderness. And the reality of baptism is God's sacramental word. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And I have given you the gift of my Holy Spirit and I will go with you and I will be with you. That is God's word given to us in the sacrament but not just in the sacrament. <clears throat> See, the reality is, 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 is the baptism, it symbolizes our union with Jesus Christ, that we are in him. And that union is nurtured through the word of God. One of the lies that the devil comes to uh, Jesus with is to, is to make him think that his physical needs are ultimate needs and that they're all important. And that's what the wilderness tempts us to do. It tempts us to, re- to be reduced as human beings simply to health or simply to an economic reality. And Jesus responds in the way that is appropriate. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus said, didn't say man does not live on bread. He can live on the word of God alone. He doesn't need bread. No, he says that man does not live on bread alone. <laughs> but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, again, we tend to think of physical realities like our health or our economy 
as somehow our final destiny is bound up with that, that our final destiny is bound up with our health, or our final destiny is bound up with a strong economy, or our final destiny is bound up with, um, you know, this particular relationship or this. And what Jesus says is that man does not live on healthcare alone. Man does not live on economic flourishing alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The evil one wants to reduce us to animal urges, to biological realities, to economic conditions, and then offer us solutions that keep us in his control and bondage. But Jesus says otherwise. He says, no, you are image bearers. You are flesh and blood. Health, economy, relationships are essential to who you are, but there's more to that who you are than just those things. And the ultimate thing is me, is God, which has mediated that reality through his word. Jesus knows that in the wilderness, the spiritual can nourish the physical. In the wilderness, the spiritual can and will and must nurture the physical. The word of God has a power to sustain us in our life before God and through this season. So friends, we need to feed on his word. We need to be in his word. I'll come back to this in the weeks to come about what it means for us in particular. But I want to close with the final point or the final, the final thing about being in the wilderness. You have to hold on tight. You have to hold on tight. Nourishment is about holding on tight to Jesus. Now, one misunderstanding of this sermon would be this. Do what Jesus did in the wilderness. WWJD, what would Jesus do in the wilderness? And I'm gonna do what Jesus did. You know, Jesus is an example for us in the wilderness. But the reality is this. He did something in the wilderness that none of us will be able to do. He was fully obedient. He trusted God to the very end. And we will not, we do not do that. Friends, surviving in the wilderness is not so much about us imitating Jesus and his example, but holding on to him as he carries us through the wilderness. We are in him. That's, again, the truth of baptism, right? We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in Jesus Christ. We are united in him. And so surviving the wilderness is about holding firmly to that identity and to his person. There's a, uh, a story about a man that was caught in a hurricane, Hurricane Camille in 1969. And I'm... I'm fairly certain this is probably an apocryphal story, but it's all right, I'm a preacher, so it makes a very good sermon illustration. But there, the story of this man caught in uh, Hurricane Camille, which hit the Gulf Coast, uh, that this man uh, was not able to flee his home, and the floodwaters were coming up into his house, and so he went onto the roof, but he was afraid of being blown off the roof, and so what he did is he nailed his hands to the roof because he didn't think he could hold on. This is what wilderness spirituality is about in a sense. It's about holding on for dear life. It's about tying yourself to the mast. But I wanna, I wanna put one little twist in this story, in this application. One way you might think about what growing in faith is is that you just learn how to hold on to Jesus more tightly. You just learn how to hold on to that promised reality given to us in baptism 
But here's the reality, friends. You can't nail yourself to Jesus. And you don't need to. (laughs) Because he nailed himself to you, literally. In the incarnation, in his death, in his descent, in his resurrection, he held onto you as his dear life and brought you with him. When he died and when he was descended, when he was raised, he brought us with him. He brought us through the deadly wilderness and he holds our lives in his nail-marked hands and he will, he will carry us through this wilderness. You can be sure of that, friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.